Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for not really the CrimeCon episode. So this week's main episode, of course, was CrimeCon, uh, the live from CrimeCon taping. But there weren't a whole lot of questions from that. I mean, it was a Q&A session to begin with, but we decided to go ahead and still do a Friday follow-up episode this week because there's still lots of questions and comments coming in about Tim Clemente's episode. So I'm not sure what we're going to name this. So this is your Friday follow-up episode. And let's go ahead and get started with the questions, Mike. All right, Bob, let's do it, man. Okay, our first question comes from Kristen. Jesse confessed to witnessing the murders with minimal involvement, but then refused to testify against Damien and Jason, who he claimed were the killers. This is one of the biggest red flags for me. If he wanted to confess to atone for his guilt, but not get his, quote, friends in trouble, he wouldn't have mentioned them at all. If he confessed his part in order to make Damien and Jason pay for what they had done, he would have testified against them. Is there a logical explanation for why this happened or why this wasn't a red flag for jurors? I know the jury found out about Jesse's confession when they weren't supposed to, so didn't they wonder why a person who already confessed did not testify at the trial they observed? Well, I don't know that, I mean, I can't, I can't pretend to know what the jurors were thinking or, you know, if they thought that that thoroughly into it. But yeah, they, they did know about the confessions. And if you read some of the affidavits that came out years later, the jury foreman intentionally during voir dire uh, manipulated his answers. What's voir dire again? That is uh, the process where the prosecutor and the defense attorneys select the jurors. Gotcha. So that's what I went through a couple of weeks ago. So you know they draw they draw numbers. You sit down and then they question you and then they have a number of what are called peremptory strikes where they can remove a certain number of jurors with no reason at all just because they want to. And then th- there are removals or strikes for cause where they can ask the judge they want this person removed because they have a particular bias or connection to the case or something like that. And the judge will then remove them. Uh, the peremptory strikes, the only rule there, uh, it's called uh, uh, the Batson ruling, is you can't remove someone based on race, which actually happens all the time. But uh, it's usually pretty easy to explain away by the, the prosecution or defense why they've done that. So the, the, the jury foreman had every intention of getting on. He knew about the confession, getting on the jury, becoming the foreman and convicting the three, uh, Damian, Jason and Jesse. 
So as far as their mindset goes, I I don't think based on all of that, that he had any intention of trying to dissect it, thinking it might be a false confession or anything along those lines. And, you know, any false confession is difficult for anyone to wrap their brain around anyway. Uh, it's, It's hard to convince someone that someone would admit to doing something that they didn't do even though we know it happens all the time. I've said the stat before, but the Innocence Project of all of the people that they have cleared and exonerated proving their innocence through DNA evidence, 25% of those people had confessed to a crime that they didn't commit. So it it does happen all the time. Uh, As far as Jesse not testifying, it should be a red flag. Again, I don't think the jury was really looking into that. But when we're examining this, so the the so-called Bible confession after the conviction, when against his lawyer's advice, Jesse makes another recorded statement with his hand on a Bible and confesses again. Uh, and after he had some more information from the trial, he still doesn't get it right, but but he he tries again to confess. That's where he said that you know he threw the whiskey bottle against the bridge. They went and found it, but then later decides not to testify against Jason and Damien. His, he says that the reason that he did the that confession was because he just wanted to make it right. He wanted to do something. This was terrible and he wanted to make it right, but then doesn't testify. Anybody can speculate as to why that is, you know, many people will say that, you know, he didn't testify because it would have ruined his chance for an appeal, but his lawyer already gave him that advice before he did the uh the confession again, before he did the recorded statement. So he already had that advice. He was already being told by the lawyer. He didn't trust his lawyer. Stidham has said that he didn't understand that he was on his side. He thought that, you know, that the lawyers, it was just the same as the police. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Uh, But in any case, we know that he was not following his lawyer's advice, and he went ahead and did the confession anyway. Going from that, if that's his mindset, then changing his mind about testifying at trial. I think that most people, I hope, would agree at least on this that Jesse Miss Kelly was someone who was easily manipulated. Now, we don't have to agree that he was manipulated in this situation, but he's very susceptible to suggestibility. It's easy to manipulate him. And you know, all it would take was, you know, right now you're going to spend your life in prison, the rest of your life in prison, uh, but if you help us out, we can give you this deal and you won't have to spend so long in prison. We can get you out of there sooner. That's all it would take for for somebody like Jesse to go ahead and, and and do whatever is asked of him to try to protect himself. But at the end of the day, he decided not to testify. All right, next, Jennifer says, did Jesse ever sign a written statement? I'm guessing not, but it would have been nice to have one cohesive version of his story. No, he never did sign a written statement, just the recorded interviews and, of course, unrecorded interviews that we're going to get into this weekend on Sunday. But no, there's no written statement. And again, uh, like like Jennifer said, it would be nice to have a cohesive version, but what would that look like? If you take everything that Jesse said in his interviews, all of his confessions, you could take every time that he went on the record and confessed to this crime and gave details, every time they're different, every time he gets the details wrong, he doesn't understand it. So understandably, the officers certainly wouldn't want him to write that down, you know, where it's concrete uh, as far as what he says happened. You know, it's it's easier for them in an in a interview setting to maybe suggest and lead him down the path to the right answer. Okay, and Mitch says, at CrimeCon, you specifically mentioned the house getting egged on the same night as the boys went missing or were murdered. Would trying to track down who was egging the house that night be a priority in this investigation? It would be, and that's something that we're still working on. Um, I tried to get the police report from that night because in the door-to-door notes, 
it says that, uh, or it was it the door-to-door notes or the police log from the dispatch there that the the homeowner knew the boys that did it. They said they they knew the boys that did it. They they caused trouble in the neighborhood all the time. So now it's a matter of trying to maybe track down that person. I don't know if they're even still alive yet or not. Uh, but it would be good to know, not necessarily, you know, that these boys may be the killers. I mean, the boys that egged the house could have been Stevie, Michael, and Christopher. We don't know. Uh, I, I doubt that because I think that would have been in the door-to-door notes. But the point is there was boys, and that was right near the crime scene. It was right up in the northwest neighborhood or the northwest corner of the neighborhood. So there's a couple of kids running around raising hell, causing problems within hundreds of feet of where the murders occurred at the time the murders occurred. So if we could track those people down, you know, maybe they would know something. And it also may be a good reason why if they do know something, they didn't come forward. You know, I would hope now, you know, if they knew if they were if they were asked about it, they understand that, you know, they're they're not facing any real jail time from egg in a house twenty five years ago, that maybe now they might, you know, tell us if they know anything. Maybe they don't, but it's definitely something to be looked into and it should be a priority, yes. Okay, and Lori says, did the police ever look for or find vomit from Jesse? Did he indicate a specific location? Shouldn't that have been part of the statement corroboration, or is it standard not to look for something like that? Well, when Jesse gave his statement, it was a month later. Rain and weather and animals, there, there's not going to be anything out there then. However, you know, the police scoured the crime scene, and one would assume that is something they would look for. You know, because they're looking for any kind of evidence to try to tie somebody to, you know, they found footprints and palm prints and uh, everything from fibers, you know, so certainly they would have seen if there was a pile of vomit in the woods, they would have, you know, collected as a sample. I don't know. I don't even know if they would be able to get anything out of it, but it would have been a corroborating factor. So there's no notes in the report that there's vomit anywhere in the woods. Uh, but then again, Jesse never does give us a specific location. If I remember correctly, he says that, you know, he left and then he just, and then he threw up, but you know, that could have been on the service road in the woods, back at the trailer park. He's never really clear. Uh, as far as I remember, where and when that occurred, just after he left. All right, and Lisa says, do you think Tim Clemente's assessment of Jesse's confession was swayed by an unintentional bias and an assumption that the detectives conducting the interview were, quote, the good guys? And on the flip side, would one be unintentionally biased if they heard the interview and assumed the detectives were coercing a confession because there's an assumption of them being, quote, bad characters? Actually, I don't think that Tim was biased at all. You know, he he definitely came out with an analysis that probably wasn't what most of us were expecting. But listen back to what he has to say. Really, he just stays right down the middle, and he makes probably one of the most objective, unbiased uh, analysis of this interview that I've heard yet, considering the fact that he didn't know all the facts. He doesn't know where the factual errors are. He doesn't know what was said in the pre-interview. So not having that information instead of you know, coming down real strong one way or the other, if you listen closely, his final assessment was, I can't make a definite determination one way or the other because I don't know about the factual errors. I don't know if he had already said things in the pre-interview. It seems like he had a strong opinion because we were, I won't say we were, but I, I was expecting him to say this is an atrocious interview. And, and he did say that the interview techniques were atrocious. I think that's the exact word that he used. unless. Jesse had already said these things during the pre-interview. In that case, you know, it could be excusable with all the leading suggestive questions because they're trying to get him to repeat something that he already said. Now, still, I have the the issue of, and I think I mentioned this in last week's Friday follow-up, 
that seems unlikely to me. Number one, again, we know what the interviewers, you know, Ridge and Gitchell, what their techniques are, because we've heard them in multiple interviews with Aaron Hutchison and with Jesse. So even if he had said these things in the pre-interview, there's no way for us to know if they didn't come in the same manner from the suggestibility and the leading questions. But at the same time, if Jesse in the free-flowing narrative gave them the correct details in the pre-interview, it's really hard to reconcile that with the fact that 24 minutes later, when the tape's turned on, he's clueless and doesn't uh, doesn't remember any of it. It just that doesn't make any sense at all that he that he confessed because he he wanted to get it off his chest and he's coming clean and and, and he gives him the information, continues to confess, continues to say that he's involved and that he helped grab Michael Moore. You know, he's not distancing himself in any way. I mean, he's tried a few times to say that I left at that point. Uh, but as they keep telling him they want more, he gives them more and ends up being in there. So he's not saying that it didn't happen. He's not retracting what he said, but suddenly he can't remember literally any of the details from the actual crime. But getting back to Tim, no, I don't think Tim was biased at all. I, I really appreciate the work that he did for us. And it it really helped me, causing me to go back to all of the notes, review the pre-interview notes that we're going to be going over on Sunday and take a deeper, closer look. Instead of just breezing over the confession and saying it's complete BS, we can look and say, was it or was it not BS? And if so, why? We can answer the why question, which hopefully will clear this up for a lot of people. But we'll talk about all that. on With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. All right, listener Richard wants to know if you're going to mention what happened in Adnan Syed's case yesterday. And by yesterday, now, it would be... Four days ago. Four days ago. Uh, yeah, so the state, backtracking a little bit, I think that we already discussed this, and you guys are aware that Anansi Ed's conviction was thrown out two years ago. The state appealed that ruling up to the Court of Special Appeals on the same day that we found out that Ed was getting released on March 29th. We found out that the Court of Special Appeals upheld that ruling, uh, but they kind of flip-flop things. So the lower court judge had vacated the conviction based on Christina Gutierrez's failure to cross-examine the cell phone expert, and the judge denied the defense's request to have the conviction vacated based on the Asia McLean alibi. Uh, and he did a really good job of putting out his factual findings. With Asia, he said that it's not that he didn't find her credible or believable, but he thought that Jay Wilde's testimony was so ridiculous that he couldn't have imagined that her alibying Anon for that particular period of time would have mattered to the jurors. So the there was a cross appeal. The state appealed the cell phone records, 
or the the cross-examining of the cell phone expert saying that that wasn't a good reason to throw out the conviction. And then Justin Brown, Anand's attorney, cross-appealed on the Asia issue, saying that that still meets the Strickland standard and it was ineffective for Christina Gutierrez to not even contact Asia. So when it went to the higher court, the Court of Special Appeals, they upheld the ruling to vacate the conviction but flip-flopped it. So they said that they would not overturn it based on the cell phone records, not because of factual findings, but because they considered it to be time-barred. Too much time had passed, that, that saying basically Adnan had the opportunity to raise that argument before, and he didn't do it, so he's not allowed to do it now. And so they overturned that. But then on the Asia issue, they disagreed with the judge, saying that it wouldn't have mattered based on his factual findings as far as Asia being the alibi. They said it, it does meet the Strickland standard. There's no excuse for her not to contact a potential alibi witness. And so they overturned it based on that. So the state then had, uh, I think it was 30 days to file an appeal to the Maryland Supreme Court. And yesterday, which again, when you're listening to this, it happened on, on Tuesday, I think, uh, Tuesday or Monday. So four days ago, the state did, in fact, appeal to the Maryland Supreme Court. And Justin Brown said that he will, again, be cross-appealing. So the same thing's going to happen again. Uh, the difference is with the Maryland Supreme Court is they don't have to hear the arguments. You know, you have to, they have to decide to even let you make your case to them. Not just anybody can go before the Maryland Supreme Court. So the outcomes here could be relatively quickly. I know it's a long process. If they, if they say that they will hear the arguments, we could be talking years again before we ever have a resolution to this. But what could happen is they could deny, this is the Maryland Supreme Court could deny hearing the arguments and say, nope, the lower court made its ruling. There's not enough merit here to warrant it to come up to the Supreme Court. And at that point, the ruling will stand. The conviction will be vacated. And then it's up to the state to either try it on again, offer him a plea, or drop the charges. From Justin's perspective, He's made very clear in every public statement he's made that they want to go back to trial. They, they're, not, I don't, they're not interested in an Alfred plea. They want to prove Adnan's innocence. Personal opinion, I don't think that the state will go to trial. They've got nothing left. I mean, they, they really, if they can even get Jay Wilds to testify again, his credibility that wasn't already shot is destroyed now. The cell phone evidence has been destroyed. That won't be able to be brought in. And so they're not left with much of a case. So. We, we've got some time. Uh, check uh, Justin Brown's blog or his Twitter feed is the best way to get the updates. Or even Colin Miller from the Undisclosed Podcast has handled it at EvidencePropBlog or at EvidenceProp, I think, is on Twitter to give you a better legal analysis because I'm not sure about the times. But, yeah, that, that's what happened today or yesterday or four days ago is the state did appeal to the Maryland Supreme Court. Terry says, in light of Tim's analysis, how can we now justify Jesse Miskelly confessing to the police, the officer who drove him, his own attorney, and others even against his own lawyer's advice? It is one thing to say he lacked an understanding, but even after he had been told he had legal counsel? Well, again, I mean, this is an argument that no one's going to win. I mean, most people either have their opinion one way or the other on this. But I will say it's, it's not uncommon. The case we just talked about, and I've used it as an example several times already, you know, when people confess, they confess repeatedly. And it's not uncommon at all for someone to confess, recant, get convicted, and then maybe confess again to try to get a plea deal uh, or to get a reduced sentence if they can pin it on somebody else. 
It's not that uncommon uh, at all. And again, there's there's just one confession. It's a repeating of the same confession over and over and over again. Justifying, I don't think, is the is the right word for it. It's just th- this would be a different story. Let me put it this way: this would be a completely different story if Jesse they turned the tape on and he confessed and he gave in a free flowing narrative from him the details of the crime that matched the forensic evidence on the scene. That is a legit confession, and no matter how many times he says it, that's hard to back away from. That that happened, but the fact is that. Even after sitting through the trial and seeing the evidence and being told repeatedly what happened and all these things, he still can't get it right because he's not, in my opinion, he's not drawing on a memory of something that he experienced. He's trying to remember something that he was taught. So think about his his issues with his IQ in school. He dropped out of school in the ninth grade. Jesse is able to function very highly in a number of ways. You know, he worked for a roofer, and they said that he was a great worker. He followed directions well. Uh, but when it comes to memorizing and repeating, which is, you know, our school system nowadays and even back then, you know, they teach you something, you got to remember it and take a test on it. He doesn't have that cognitive ability, but he can remember experiences. So that's that's the issue here. Whether he re- confesses one time or a hundred times, he never actually confesses. And what I mean by that is a confession is is a narrative about what happened and how it happened. So what Jesse did is give a story. He gave a, a recounting of events that never occurred. He doesn't get a single detail of the crime scene right ever, even after he gets the information during the trial. And we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the details he did give just kind of leading up to the confession in the in the pre-interview notes. But it never really was a confession. He told a story, but it wasn't the story. It could be proven factual. Every point that he gives the police can be proven factually inaccurate. And anything that is even close, you can read the transcripts, listen to the audio. It's the police telling him and him agreeing with them. Nothing ever comes from Jesse. In my opinion, to even call it a confession is not accurate. It's a story, and it's wrong. All right, and listener Lindsay Walker posted on the fan page about uh, Carrie Max Cook's GoFundMe page. Can you tell us a little more about the GoFundMe, Bob? Yeah, it's it's actually not a GoFundMe. I was having trouble yesterday trying to get the link properly shared. I did share it on the Truth and Justice main page, uh, but but Carrie has put together it's a fundraiser through Facebook, so it's not a GoFundMe.com page. It's right through Facebook. Uh, he set a goal for $20,000. And what what Carrie's trying to do is to seek help and counseling and treatment for PTSD. For those of you that aren't familiar with Carrie's case, we talked about you know, when we were in Smith County during season two and we did Ed Eight's case and Kenny Snow's case. We also covered Carrie Max Cook's case. So a brief synopsis is uh, back in 1977, there was a murder in an apartment complex where Carrie Cook was staying. He was 21 years old. And he was, the evidence, I think, over the next 40 years proved that he was really framed and set up or or railroaded, however you want to put it. He was convicted and sentenced to die. And when he got into prison, he had more of a horrible time than, than most people. And prison's a horrible place for everyone. The police used the fact that they used a witness uh, that claimed that he was performing homosexual acts with Carrie Cook 
on the night of the murder. The state's theory of the case was Carrie gets riled up and goes and kills this woman. Pretty ridiculous. The whole thing is just riddled with homophobia. It's disgusting through the whole thing. But in the 70s, when then Carrie goes to death row, with it plastered all over the news that he's homosexual or bisexual and he's a very small-framed 21-year-old kid, he was tortured is the best word for it. Tortured in that prison, raped daily. He has he has things carved into his buttocks from this first day in prison where the, the inmates carved on him. Just horrible. He attempted suicide a couple times in the prison. I don't remember the dates right off the top of my head. It's been a long time since I've been over this stuff, but Carey then eventually had his conviction overturned. The conviction was vacated, and the state tried him again, and they convicted him again and sent him back to death row. And then later, that conviction was vacated, and they took him back to trial again. And if, if memory, I may have some of these details wrong. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but I think that uh, there was a mistrial, and then they took him to trial for the fourth time, and right before that trial started, he was offered an Alford plea where he pled no contest and maintained his innocence and was sentenced to time served and went home. He served over two decades on death row, much of that time in solitary confinement. The rest of the time, he was being tortured and beaten and raped while he was in there. And he's suffered a lot because of that. And for any of you that listened to season two and went through the the hearing where his, his Alfred plea was then vacated uh, just last year. Uh, we were down there for that trial, or two years ago, uh, still waiting, and then later had an actual innocence hearing. Carrie had a real hard time. It was, I think, PTSD is certainly what's going on there. The prosecution agreed to let his conviction go, but because of that, none of them were called on the stand to argue about or to, the way he puts it, to account for the things that they had done to him. And after agreeing to the plea, Kerry just, he just snapped. He just, I remember talking to him and he was just in tears because he wanted those prosecutors on the stand. He wanted them to answer for what they did. And now they didn't have to. He struggled. The, he has no income. He's still at this point until the court of criminal appeals in Texas gives their final ruling to confirm what was done in the lower court. Kerry is still a convicted murderer. He's in his sixties now, I believe. He doesn't have a job, and he needs help. So I, I don't have, there's no easy link. It's like facebook.com slash donate slash a big long number. So if you would like to contribute to Kerry Cook's fund so that he can seek treatment for his post-traumatic stress, go to the Truth and Justice main page. I will pin it to the top like we did with that eights GoFundMe. And I would really appreciate it if a lot of you could go and make some donations to Kerry to try to get him the help that he needs. He certainly deserves it. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, that's it for questions for this week. I know it's kind of a short one because we had the whole crime con thing last week. Yeah, but we do appreciate all of the questions. I think that we have having this extra week has given us a lot of time to take your suggestions as far as where we should be looking with Jesse Miss Kelly's 
whole situation between his pre-interview and his interviews, his confessions, all of that. It's helped us give us the time to research deeper. And uh, we're going to be unpacking all of that on Sunday. And I know I had mentioned that I thought it would probably take a few more weeks to get through this. But I think that we will be able to unpack the whole thing and put the Jesse Miss Kelly confessions to bed this Sunday in our main episode, episode 525. At the end of the day, it's going to be up to you for you to make a determination if you believe the confessions are valid or if they were a coerced false confession. But you'll hear all of that on Sunday. Truth and Justice is a production of NBI Studios. Michael Bussing is your executive producer, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. I want to thank Amanda Meyer of Willow Photo and Designs for designing and creating our Friday follow-up logo. And a special thanks to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website. And also a big thank you to our transcription team, Sarah Mueller, Anna Dindorf, Britta Bliss, and Stephanie McConnell. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $1 a month. And we also have reward levels on the Patreon page that include access to the behind-the-scenes videos of the taping of our Friday follow-up episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. But the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation in the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. And for all of you tweeters, you can follow along on Twitter at truthjusticepod. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on the case. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. Uh, 47 seconds of silence. You need to pull it together. Yeah. Shut up. But this is your Friday follow-up. We're gonna Mike's gonna ask me a bunch of questions like we do every week. Probably cut this part. <laughs> you were you were doing fine until you gave up on it. I gave up you on gave it. up on it. What's but, going on here, Bob? <laughs> Shut up. I hate that you're happy. <laughs> Bobby says, How much does Bob's beard weigh? <laughs> what? Yeah. Real question from a real listener. Where? How much does your beard weigh, Bob? I don't have much of a beard right now. Well, explain away, Bobby. It, really? Uh, we're going to do this. Okay. <laughs> I, my beard's trimmed down with a number one guard right now. I bet it weighs less than an ounce. <laughs> but there's been times. Okay, that's enough. There's that's, been times when it really weighed in heavy. Big beard. Yeah.
catch hey, catch me during the winter. Right. Yeah, you got the summertime thing going on right mm-hmm. now. Anyway, I just threw that in there and tried to be funny. It was a real question. Was it? I, can I point out here for a minute that anybody that feels like this is way shorter than normal and completely incoherent, that I'm exhausted. I had a sick kid last night, didn't sleep at all last night, and so I'm really having trouble. <laughs> that, was so a blend, that was a blend of the words struggle and trouble. Yeah. And so I'm really having trouble focusing right now. So I'm I'm struggling through this on the struggle bus. <laughs> you really put that f-ing question in there? No, I can take it out. I just I totally botch it and want to be funny, but like the energy's not here. <laughs> right. We're just gonna nix uh, it. I'm a mic today. Just... You are. That's the truth. <laughs> oh. oh God. Everything okay? Yeah, I'm good. I wish I could do more to help you. You could read those f***ing questions so we can finish that. Dude, that the worst help. part is we're at the break already. No, we can't be. Yeah, we're... We're, we're 11 minutes in. <laughs> All right, here we go. It's usually this is enough for... I haven't been talking much. Enough. I'll do one more here. Like, how many times does the garbage truck go by? It's weird. It's it like, what do they do? They're turning yeah. donuts out there. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.